Well, let's uh, let's get some uh, live reaction here. Uh, why not? We figured, uh, you know, crunch time gets a little old if we go to Thursday with it. So we said, we're going to merge this show together. We're going to just, we're going to do our regional rankings. We're going to do our review live, well, quasi-live at least, too, uh, of uh, the Week 10 games and everything. And uh, I, I got to tell you, James, the little bit of time I've had to look at the regional rankings, because they are a little bit tardy, we have to admit. Uh, going after 4 o'clock is one of the latest I can remember. Yeah. Um, I'm a little unimpressed, and we're going to have to go through this and explain to folks what this all means and why we think that some folks may be a little bit off their kilter in terms of uh, the racks. First yeah. things first, before we go to our uh, intro here, we're supposed to be funny or something. Say something funny. Come on. Um, something funny. That's good. Uh, yeah. That's, hot. That's well, hilarious. Kind of funny. I, I just realized that, like, oh, I didn't, you know, really taking care of it today. So, fortunately, you know, splish splash, there it is. It's a good thing it's cut short. Not not too hard to style, you know. But hey, <laughs> hey, you know what's what's not funny though is Coach Toop is retiring. You know, we'll Indeed. have a we'll have man. I mean, we we kind of knew it was coming. Um, and you know, the the guy's been in the business for what forty plus years, and um, you know, what a season for him to go out. You know, basically this close to being undefeated, maybe has a chance at the playoffs, maybe not. We'll talk about it. The Mariners did get some love from the East Region, or formerly known as the East Region, one, um, you know, rack. So, say it ain't so. I, I think you have some information, though, that, that may be a little disappointing for the Mariners fans, but who knows what can happen. Last Saturday, we saw half the field get filled, and I think even more so, because I think teams like Wisconsin lacrosse punched their ticket. I think teams like Wheaton are still a lock, Harden-Simmons still a lock. It's really going to come down to the other half of the, um, you know, well, not even half, some of the the remaining pool A's and then those final two um, pool C bids. It's going to be – someone's going to get left out, unfortunately. It happens every year, and we'll have to wait and see who it is. Okay. That wasn't very funny, but it, mm -hmm. it was very informative. I'll say that much. We got a lot of information for you on this episode. You're going to want to stay tuned. Uh, this is Season 14 of In the Huddle. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to go uh, to a pre-recorded version of a compressed crunch time. Uh, we still have plenty of video highlights, but we, we know we can't go hours and hours in this show. We, we've got to get you the information you want here. We know you're being driven by the playoff uh, issues and bowl issues and everything else going on. And so we're going to cover all that. Yep, playoffs, bowls, all that stuff. We're going to have the ECAC bowls released on this show Monday around 1230. We'll get the specific time as we get closer to it. We've been working with the ECAC. We appreciate uh, their affiliation with us on this show. If you remember, we've had great reactions along the way. Maybe we'll get a team that's on the bubble for an ECAC game to join us. Uh, there's going to be a lot of fun on that day, and that's after Selection Sunday. On Selection Sunday, we are working to get, and we believe that uh, the NCAA is going to help us get Dewey Nats, the national chair of the Selection Committee, to join us on the show uh, for a special show. Uh, that we will release right after Selection Sunday's show on at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, a little bit earlier than normal, on Sunday yep. evening. So probably around 6 o'clock, look for that after the Selection Show on the NCAA side, uh, produced by Turner and NCAA. A lot of stuff going on here. Um, 30,000 foot view, maybe a little quicker than normal here for Week 10, though. Let, let's, get, let's take Week 10 and move it forward uh, into where we are right now. Well, as we saw, uh, week 10 was sort of the separation Saturday. And like I said, at the top of the show, 
half the half the field has been filled for the national playoffs and we have a few things jockeying around with some other postseason bowl bids and you know there's going to be some rivalry you know championship cup games going on this upcoming weekend but pretty much we're starting to see you know how all these conference races are wrapping up there's still a couple that are up in the air but there are teams that control their own destiny uh we might see a crazy possible three-way tie still we don't know but for the most part all the mystery uh, we kind of had going into week 10 was pretty much figured out. And so we, we think we know what we're, who's going to make it in the rest of the way. We'll talk about that. These regional rankings though, through a couple of curveballs, um, you know, for instance, with those last couple of pool C bids, some, a certain team that I thought was in pretty good shape is now ranked below some team that I know they have a better strength of schedule than better other, you know, kind of qualities. So I don't know what's going on with the rack. If they're messing around with us or what, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, regions two and three, I will specifically say, are uh, a mystery to me as to the orderings, but we'll get to it. Yeah. First things first, let's go to a 12-minute version of Crunch Time for the games of Week 10 in the Fall 2021 Division Three College season. We'll start in the ECFC in Region 1, where Gallaudet tried to beat uh, Anna Maria and put up a good effort, but Anna Maria wins 37-21. Alex Cohen went 21 for 31 for 393 yards passing, three passing, one rushing touchdown, and an interception. Jacob Hartman for Gallaudet, though, had a 66-yard pick six and 10 tackles in the game. Gallaudet needed Alfred State to win, and Alfred State did. Let's look at some clips here in the fourth quarter. 13:44 left in that fourth quarter. Aaron Jenkins gets a two-yard touchdown run for Alfred State. That made it 25-10 Alfred State. Then 15 seconds later, Anthony Martinez gets a 65-yard touchdown pass from Evan Smith to make it 25-17 Alfred State as Castleton tried to catch up. But eight minutes later, Jake Palmer gets a five-yard touchdown run to make it 35-17 Alfred State. And that was near the final. 35-24 was the actual final. Aaron Jenkins, 429 total yards, uh, two passing, two rushing touchdowns, two interceptions for Alfred State. And Evan Smith, the Castleton quarterback, 20 for 36, 301 in terms of passing yards and three passing touchdowns. Framingham State wins the MASCAC with a 47-13 win. In the third quarter, one minute into it, Devon Ford gets a 54-yard touchdown pass from Nicholas Gafredo, and that made it 21-7 uh, Framingham State. Then five minutes later, this happens. And that pass is a nice one-two on a 12-yard touchdown pass to Isaiah Hanks. Again, final 47-13. Uh, it was Gafredo with a 281-yard passing day, two passing, one rushing touchdown. And Nicholas Onujogu, who we had on our show, I believe, a long time ago, four sacks on the day. Springfield and MIT met up at, uh, in Cambridge at 7 p.m. on Saturday as uh, soccer forced that game to be later. And David Wells in the third quarter sort of put this game at least uh, into Springfield's column uh, temporarily and then permanently ultimately with his 19-yard touchdown run, 14-7 Springfield at that point. Final score 17-7 Springfield as the Pride outrushed MIT 383-17. Wells with 161 total yards, two rushing touchdowns, and Ben Dwyer for MIT with three catches and 85 yards on the day. Husson took on Salve Regina on their senior day, and it was really a big lead early for Husson, but Salve Regina tried to cut into it. Seven minutes left, third quarter. Max DeVito with his 54-yard touchdown reception from Jack McGuire made it 17-7 Husson, but Husson's Christian Walker ends a 13-play drive with his eight-yard touchdown reception from Nick Visser to make it 24-10 Husson, and that was the final. Visser, 244 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, two interceptions. Joey Moriello got pretty much boxed in all day 15 rushes 45 yards and Garen Poussard had 106 yards on the ground for Husson. Williams with no video here beat Wesleyan 25 to 0 to keep them at 8 and 0 undefeated. Joel Nicholas 26 rushes 173 yards and a rushing touchdown for Williams as they outgained Wesleyan 444 to 212. Nick Helbig from Wesleyan with eight tackles including two and a half sacks. 
We'll look at other Region 1 scores after crunch time. Let's go to uh, Ithaca, where Union visited, and uh, really no video here to go on, but you can see the score 26-7 as IK Erebor was a workhorse for Union with 27 rushes, 154 yards, but it was Nick Bahamunde with 4-4 four of four in terms of field goals on the day, uh, 14 points total. The Ithaca defense, 3 sacks, 6 tackles for loss in an interception. RPI beat St. Lawrence in overtime, double overtime actually, 22-20. Daniel Lawther, 248 total yards, one passing and one rushing touchdown for St. Lawrence. And then George Marinopoulos, 14 for 30, 188 yards and one passing touchdown coming back from his injury a week prior. Video of this game very much on our Twitter account, so go look for that. Carnegie Mellon uh, wins 27-11 and takes control of the pack, at least for now. Uh, here's a big play that occurred in the second quarter, four minutes left. Thomas Corey gets his punt block and return for touchdown. Uh, return basically it lands in his hands and he's in the end zone. 20-3 was the score there. 27-11 final. Chris Hughes gets six catches for 125 yards and two touchdowns for Carnegie Mellon. And Trey Vasilidis gets 28 rushes, 118 yards, and a rushing touchdown. Muhlenberg beat Susquehanna to take control of the Centennial Conference, 52-27. Michael Nekowski, 25 for 29, 380 yards and six passing touchdowns. Spencer Karen, the uh, linebacker we've uh, profiled before with 10 tackles and a tackle for loss. Michael Roosh for Susquehanna went 14 for 27, 189 yards and two passing touchdowns. Salisbury struggled with TCNJ, but not at first. TCNJ was down 23-2 at one point in the first half. Stephen Began gets a six-yard touchdown run, though, with 12.31 left for TCNJ to make it 30-23 Salisbury. Later on, though, in the fourth, Matthew's going to keep it and try to pitch it out. Ball's on the ground, but Gleason picks it up. He's got room in front. He's trying to shake around the block, and he gets loose. He's in. Gleason gets the score, and Salisbury flies ahead. 37-23 final. Billy Gant, 210 total yards, two passing, one rushing touchdowns, and an interception. Stephen Began for TCNJ with that 14 for 31 day, 221 yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown, and an interception. Montclair William Patterson was a thriller. Let's fast forward all the way to 51 seconds left fourth quarter. Zahir Wilder gets a 29-yard touchdown pass from Jaquiel Birch to take the lead. The final would be 23-22 in favor of Montclair State. Wilder with that big touchdown catch. Marcel Mason, 26 rushes, 99 yards for William Patterson. You know, again, we'll look at other Region 2 scores after crunch time. In Region 3, Trinity faced off against Birmingham Southern. It was a back-and-forth fight. In the fourth quarter, nine and a half minutes left, Trey Patterson gets his 11-yard touchdown run for Birmingham Southern to tie the game at 21 apiece. Then 519 left. Ryan Merrifield gets an 8-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn. It's 28-21 Trinity. 23 seconds left. Trey Patterson gets his 1-yard touchdown run, 28-27 in favor of Trinity still. But they go for 2 does Birmingham Southern, and they just miss it. The pass is in and out of the hands of the receiver to make it 28-27 final in favor of Trinity, who wins the SAA. Patterson with 231 total yards for uh, Birmingham Southern. Uh, passing and two rushing touchdowns, but Tucker Horn had two in one of his own, two passing, one rushing touchdown. No video here. UMHB beats Howard Payne, who looked upstart at first, 59-14. They scored 14 points in 3 minutes, 29 seconds, did Howard Payne, but Ryan Redding, who was in as a backup for UMHB, 405 total yards, two passing, two rushing touchdowns. game was marred by a sideline incident on the HPU sideline, uh, we've seen video of it and uh, a little bit of a bad uh, look for HPU. Hopefully uh, they get that situation resolved uh, as it was not what you want to see uh, in the ASC or any NCAA game. Washington and Lee faced off against Ferrum and let's go to the fourth quarter, minute 42 left. Josh Brees gets this one yard touchdown run to give Washington and Lee a 28-24 lead at that point. Later on, first and 20 from the Ferrum 45, this happens. Owen Roberts back on the field covering Penn one-on-one. -on -one. Jones throws it up for Penn. 
It's a battle for the football. And it falls to the turf incomplete. And Washington and Lee is victorious. And the 2021 Old Dominion Athletic Conference champions. Washington and Lee again in a one possession game. This time wins the ODAC 28-24. Josh Priest, uh, that touchdown run you saw with 142 remaining, it was the game winner. Titus Jones from Ferrum, 23 for 32, 273 yards, two passing, one rushing touchdown. We'll look at more of these scores from Region 3 after crunch time. Albion against Hope. What a back and forth game this was. Six seconds into the second quarter, Justin Thomas gets his 18-yard touchdown pass from Jack Bush to make it 21-3 Albion. But wait a minute. Third quarter, 11-20 left. Elijah Smith, his five-yard touchdown run for Hope makes it 31-24. Hope with the lead suddenly. Three minutes, 20 seconds later, Brendan Teal gets a 33-yard touchdown pass from Jack Bush to tie the game at 31 apiece. The teams would trade touchdowns into the fourth quarter. And then, then with 327 left, Jackson Cooney gets his 36-yard field goal. It was the game winner, 41-38 Albion. The teams combined for 951 total yards. Jack Bush for Albion, 21 for 30, 365 yards and four passing touchdowns. He threw three of them to Justin Thomas. Baldwin Wallace takes on Ohio Northern and stays alive in the Pool C race with a 17-14 win. Brody Hahn tried hard for Ohio Northern, 14 for 28, 159 yards, two passing touchdowns, but three interceptions. Keegan Armitage gets 155 total yards as quarterback with one passing touchdown for Baldwin Wallace. Heidelberg against John Carroll. Let's look at overtime as they were tied at 21 apiece heading into overtime. Fourth and goal from the one, a big stop by the defense of Heidelberg. One play later, this happens. Sims back to pass, slings it into the end zone. Reed, touchdown, Heidelberg! Brandon Reed with the touchdown! The game winner from Drew Sims! 25-yard touchdown pass, and that's the ball game, folks! What a play to win the game! A thrilling victory in overtime for Heidelberg, 27-21. Montavious Yearby, 30 rushes, 152 yards, and two rushing touchdowns. On the JCU side, Jake Floria with 319 total yards, two passing touchdowns. Drew Sims with two passing touchdowns, including the game winner. UW-Whitewater holds on against UW-Lacrosse 13-7. You'll see the last play here, and it looked like there was good position by the receiver, but it was knocked away to hold on to the victory for Whitewater. Jacob Parks for UWL. That quarterback had a great day overall, 275 total yards and a passing touchdown. Alex Pete for Whitewater, though. He had 27 rushes, 151 yards on the day, and place kicker Matt Maldonado, two for two on field goals for Whitewater, and they needed both of those. Pacific beat Whitworth in a surprise in the NWC, 14-7. Josh Harris, uh, 32 rushes, 101 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Jaden Pruitt for Whitworth didn't finish the game. Again, we'll look at other regions, four through six games, but that's crunch time for Week 10 of the 2021 Fall Division III college football season. Maybe I should get my volume back up before we uh, do the transition yeah. there. But, I, I, you know, my, my voice is tired from doing all that uh, voiceover work there. Uh, JB, uh, what we're going to do is uh, go back through those uh, slides quickly to do overviews of each one. We'll look at the regional rankings from that region alongside it so uh, I want your view on uh, certain games that we did or did not talk about along the way we'll start with region one here and uh, the ECFC is basically in a situation where it's Anna Maria's to lose uh, this yeah. coming week and uh, that's against uh, Maritime if I remember correctly and uh, right. they'll be hosting uh, that battle uh, Framingham State and the Mascac has won it. Springfield is in a battle still because Catholic could still technically sneak up on strength of schedule if Catholic mm. wins and Merchant Marine wins uh, this weekend and Springfield is in a three-way tie with them. Technically, Catholic is still alive. It will take a lot of finagling in out-of-conference mm. games. More on that in a little bit. Husson, uh, they are... Uh, well, they basically gave Endicott kind of the king of the hill scenario in uh, the 
CCC, excuse me, uh, Williams, uh, is anybody even close to them right now in the uh, NESCAC? I, I, I don't think so, but uh, is Amherst no, still they, one of I mean, teams? well, tri- they, they beat Trinity head-to-head, and so if they both finish 8-1, and one, I guess in theory they would be you know co-champions, but they would have a head-to-head win over them. But, I mean, this is a great opportunity for Coach Ray and the Eves to finish this off. And then, yeah, elsewhere in Region 1, DelVal locks up the MAC for the umpteenth year in a row. They blank Wilkes in an impressive defensive showing. Um, Worcester State had that exciting comeback win over Westfield in, in the MASCAC. Uh, Western New England – once again, once again, uh, it's interesting. UNE, the Nor'easters of, of University of New England, um, really a tough out. That that, impro- that program's on its way up. But interesting matchup now with uh, with Husson uh, playing WNE in Week 11. I believe if WNE wins that game, it effectively is going to allow Salve to punch their ticket as sort of the second place team in the CCC, assuming that. Endicott beats Nichols, and Nichols is a two and seven team. That's a game that I think the Gulls should win. And based on the, the tiebreakers that we know of in the CCC, Endicott would be your Pool A uh, qualifier. But an opportunity for Salve just sort of sitting there doing nothing to get a potential uh, postseason bowl game. We we know that the there will be two New England bowls um, happening in Week Twelve. Typically, it's you know it's a round robin of the the second place teams and how they match it up. They'll have to figure it out on Sunday night after the official brackets come out. But I could see Salve in a game potentially against UMass Dartmouth, who looks like the number two team in the MASCAC. And, hey, look who's at number eight on uh, the Region 1 rankings. Yeah, UMass Dartmouth does uh, make it into there at 7-2. and two. The question is, where is Springfield? The Springfield seems to be a strong three-loss team that may have been able to yeah. displace one of these two-loss teams, or at least one of them, and uh, they did not. And so a little surprising there that uh, UMass Dartmouth was the selection over Springfield. That affects Union, of all teams, uh, and we'll explain more about that in a few minutes. The left-hand uh, ranking or left-hand uh, standings are... Uh, Division three game standings. The right-hand ones are always all overall record, including NAIA, Division two games, etc. In this case, they all match because Region 1 does not go out of uh, division no. for games normally. Uh, Merchant Marine, don't be fooled by the fact that you're listed as number two there. The distance between number one and number two in this region is meteoric, basically, and their strength of schedule will drop against Coast Guard this weekend. Your chance for a pool C bid Merchant Marine is about zero unless we see extreme carnage across the country. But even then, we may not still see you there because I don't think there's enough carnage that can occur because of head-to-heads going on along the way. So, unlikely Region 1 gets anybody in via pool C. Let's go to Region 2 again. Union, Ithaca, RPI, St. Lawrence. Those games were uh, something else. Uh, the one that was closer wasn't the one necessarily expected to be such. But Ithaca beating yep. Union keeps Ithaca alive in the Liberty League. RPI eking it out against St. Lawrence kept them alive. If Union wins this weekend in the Dutchman Shoes game, then Ithaca wins the Liberty League and Union will be a Pool C candidate. If RPI wins, Union will not be a Pool C candidate. Their playoff dreams are completely over at that point. And Ithaca will be a Pool C candidate. We'll talk a little bit more about exactly what this looks like. And this is the biggest conundrum of the day, to be honest with you, that we'll be showing you in a couple minutes. Carnegie Mellon uh, has impressed everybody by beating now both Westminster and Washington and Jefferson. Where in the hell are they in the Region 2 rankings? I I would like to know that personally. Because... They have taken down Very two packed. teams that are top teams in the pack. Where are they? But uh, that was a great game by them. They control their destiny against Case Western Reserve. If they lose that game and Westminster wins against Geneva, then it's going to be Westminster going to the playoffs. Case Western Reserve is not a pushover, especially in a game against Carnegie Mellon. We see it every year. Muhlenberg yeah. is still uh, at the top of the pack, basically. Johns Hopkins is uh, controlless here. If Muhlenberg wins in Week 11... They go to the playoffs. Susquehanna, those two losses, it's pretty much all over. Salisbury, uh, you know, closer than you would like to see game heading into the end of this season, but uh, they are uh, the champs in the end, Jack, and they can kind of take their foot off the pedal if they want, but bracketing matters. 
Montclair State just kind of feel-good story there that we saw. Other uh, scores in Region 2 going up, go ahead and talk about what you'd like. Well, I mean, the only thing that really jumped out, you know, there was a close game there with Christopher Newport um, beating Rowan. Uh, the captains finished the year 5-5. Five and five. Their, their quarterback, um, uh, Dzerski is his name, Matt Dzerski, 402 total yards, five touchdowns. Um, we've heard some some rumors that there might be some changes upcoming there, but with a sophomore quarterback like like him, um, captains are in good hands. Strong, solid season for them. Case Western, as we mentioned before, no pushover. They take down Grove City, um, which you know pretty much ended any hope for you know, Grove City, other than a potential ECAC road game possibly. Um, and that that game against Carnegie Mellon on Saturday looms large. So here we go. Uh, we we want to spend the most time on this one because it makes the least sense. Uh, and we'll explain what we mean by that. SUNY Cortland, we completely understand as the number one here. They are the only undefeated team in this region and deserve to be number one. They face Ithaca and Cortica on Saturday at noontime. Number two, Muhlenberg. They have a 495, I believe it is, or 498 strength of schedule. I, it looked earlier. And they are 1-0 against regionally ranked opponents, namely Johns Hopkins. Their loss is against a team that is not even close to being ranked in your sinus. How they qualify as the number two team is a mystery to me, folks. It does I, not I have, follow. My only, my only theory is the fact that they went to the Final Four in 2019, and the, the rack is just giving them credit for that. And there's also a lot of love for the Centennial Conference, which, you know, is been justified in years past, but I would, you know, go to bat this year and say that the Liberty League was a better league than the Centennial. I know that though people call me a homer because I went to Hobart and all that kind of stuff, but when you look at our top four compared to their top four, I mean, it, it sort of just tells you tells the story. Muhlenberg is not the second best team in this region. Now they've been playing amazingly, and we'll talk about you know their their quarterback a little later on. But I mean, man. That's a lot of extra love from the committee, and I have a feeling it's basically kind of a, a nod to that 2019 run, which, hey, was great. But this is two years later, and these conferences and these results are very different. And a sub-500 strength of schedule, when everything we've heard about the importance of strength of schedule in these ranking methodologies just seems to be way off. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and for those that don't uh, understand, we've talked about the whole tiebreaker of performance and playoffs in the previous year, or in this case, 2019. That only occurs in terms of the undefeated teams if you can't break a tie. These are not undefeated teams in this situation. If no. somebody's applying no, that tiebreaker here, if you're applying that tiebreaker here, you're not applying the tiebreaker correctly. It doesn't belong here. No. Muhlenberg, there is no theory I can figure out, aside from what you're saying is kind of more of a conspiracy theory, because that's not justified what you said. There is no theory that applies here correctly for Muhlenberg. Yes, the Hopkins win was very good, but their loss was miserable when you look at it in the grand scheme of things. The teams below them, the losses... Uh, here, let's go back to this uh, page. The losses, Salisbury loses to Whitewater, ranked... RPI loses to Hobart, ranked. Ithaca loses to RPI, ranked. Johns Hopkins loses to Muhlenberg, ranked. Union loses to Ithaca, ranked. Hobart loses to RPI, or excuse me, to Union and to Ithaca, ranked, ranked. Yep. So yep. how does Muhlenberg, as the only team in this grouping with an unranked loss, become number two? It doesn't make I, sense. It does not at all. I mean, honestly, it's it's kind of a slap in the face to Salisbury, who, um, you know, they played one of the top two or three teams in the country, and and sure, they you know they they lost, but I mean, and maybe maybe this is a slap on the wrist for them not blowing out TC and J. Uh, I, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, Frank. Um, any number, any of these teams. I mean, RPI, Ithaca. Salisbury, they all could or should be in the number two position. But, you know, at the end of the day, Muhlenberg is probably going to win the Pool A in the Centennial. That's not going to matter for, um, you know, as far as Pool C considerations. It might have to do with seeding. You know, maybe they want a strong 
Pennsylvania seed um, in in the brackets there. But you know Salisbury is kind of a pain in the ass to get to. Um, but they could match up with you know Washington and Lee. They could match up with somebody from the SAA. You know, well Trinity's in Texas, so not really. But yeah, it's just it's kind of a head scratcher. And you know, well I think it's great. Um, and it might ultimately be a necessity for Union that, that Hobart cracked the top eight. I mean, Carnegie Mellon's in a position to win a conference title. Um, and in spite of, you know, they did lose, you know, a couple of games. But still, like, is that is Hobart's resume better than Carnegie Mellon's? I don't know. If Union were to beat RPI, let's, let's look at 5-6-7 here because that's what matters yeah. in terms of pool C. Uh, RPI is either pool A or bust, okay? And so is Muhlenberg. Muhlenberg and RPI realistically are pool A or bust. If they lose this weekend, they're going to drop below teams for pool C purposes. It's done. So the teams that matter in terms of the ordering here for Region 2 are Ithaca, Johns Hopkins, Union. So, okay, you can absolutely justify Ithaca above Union. Ithaca beat Union handily this weekend. Ithaca plays right. SUNY Cortland. Now, if Ithaca beats Cortland, they're going to skyrocket here. They have to. Their strength of schedule is going to skyrocket. Regionally ranked opponents skyrockets. Our friend uh, Wahid Nabi and I have been uh, poking back and forth. He thinks that Ithaca <laughs> looks really good uh, in terms of the video he's been watching. And I'll defer to Coach Nabi at this point uh, a little bit about you know that. But I also know that the uh, Bree Sakala story is uh, a very good one, too, as quarterback at Cortland. So th- it'll be a great game. We'll talk more about it on Friday. But Union below Hopkins... Okay, currently their strength of schedule is somewhat close with Union having the lead. Hopkins yeah. will have theirs drop this weekend, and Union will mm-hmm. have theirs probably jump this weekend with the game against RPI. If they beat yeah. RPI, then you're setting Hopkins up for, I think, failure here in terms of a false sense of security because Union yeah. should jump Hopkins. And in fact, you could justify Union above Hopkins right now. So why aren't they? just to at least give a clue here as to what you're going to do in terms of who will be on the table for Region 2 if Union were able to get through on Saturday and win. I mean, even before these rankings came out in my head, I, th- I had you know the last three Pool C teams being considered as Union Hopkins and Birthingham Southern. And I feel like of those three, from what I knew about the strength of schedule, the wins and losses and so on and so forth, Union had the strongest resume of those three. It, you know, it's a razor thin, but as far as getting what's potentially going to be the very last um, you know, Pool C bid, I thought the Dutchman had the best case scenario, assuming they beat RPI. If they lose the shoes game, you know, that that's off the table completely. Um, and so we'll just have to wait and see. What happens? You brought up uh, Trinity, Birmingham Southern, the SAA situation. Yeah. Uh, Birmingham Southern, uh, when you take a look at that uh, zoomed-in version of that final play, the two-point conversion, you, you realize just how close they were to winning the SAA. Yeah. Close. Yeah, that was closer than we realized during our Blitzer show on Saturday, uh, zooming in and slowing yeah. it down. It was right there. And so... We'll talk about where they are in a second. Howard Payne, obviously, uh, having a bad go of it in the uh, last stands of their season, uh, finishing uh, or uh, right now at 6-3, and three, I should say, uh, overall. Mary Harden Baylor looking good even with a backup quarterback. And Washington Lee, I mean, just go cardiac every game. Why don't you guys? I mean, somebody's uh, <laughs> going to have some trouble sleeping at night from all your anxiety you're causing here. But they do win, and they do win the ODAC at that Go ahead with any other games you want to talk about Region 3, and then we'll look at the rankings. Well, part of the reason why we didn't you know, cover too many games in Region 3 is that this, this area is pretty much locked up. I mean, we knew that the SAA championship would be uh, potentially – well, it was decided, and then we thought that Washington and Lee would beat Ferrum, but it was a lot closer a game than we suspected. Really, the only other news out of here, you know, Huntington locks down um, the USA South with their win over Maryville, so they're they're in the tournament. Their position in Alabama will help them or not, you know, depending on how they get potted up. I'm guessing that, you know, we could probably see them play, you know, Trinity or maybe Harden-Simmons in round one, so that's a – it is what it is for them. Um, and as you can see here, Frank, 
you know, Birmingham Southern ranked number three above Harden Simmons, which once again, kind of interesting is I view Harden Simmons as one of the guaranteed locks of pool C and the committee's trying to throw out there to Birmingham Southern. Well, wait a minute. You guys might be the first one up. Uh, and I just, honestly, I don't believe that when you compare the two resumes. Well, let's look at the uh, resumes in their entirety here, because uh, at the end of the day, you only have what one team uh, beyond uh, or besides the team itself from their conference ranked in terms of Trinity has Birmingham or Birmingham Southern has Trinity rather. Harden Simmons has Mary Harden Baylor. Washington Lee and Randolph Macon are from the ODAC. The Huntington's from the USA South. So, according to your record against ranked opponents. I believe, uh, unless I'm missing something here, uh, Trinity and Birmingham, or, uh, excuse me, Hard Simmons and Birmingham Southern are both 0-1. Uh, they're out-of-conference games, I don't think. Well, that reminds me, though, Frank, and maybe this Birmingham is Birmingham Southern's other game. They beat Huntington in, like, week two or three, 48-9. Um, and so that's a, that's a win over a regionally ranked opponents. So I guess it you know gives them a boost, um, even though – yeah, I, that, I think that's the reason there. So they followed it for Region 3 purposes, maybe not so much for Region 2. <laughs> well, let's yeah. look at what happens to Birmingham Southern's. And remember, racks are different between regions, so that's that's what can happen. They're going to play number or two and seven Millsaps is Birmingham Southern this week. Their strength of schedule is going to take a nosedive. It's currently at a 525. Harden-Simmons is at a 528, so it's a virtual tie in terms of strength of schedule, but they'll play Texas Lutheran this week, who's 3-6, and six, slightly better, and will probably mm-hmm. allow them to create a little bit of separation. But I'll tell you something, JB, in terms of resume scenarios, when you look at the idea that Birmingham Southern, with a 1-1 one and, one and 520-ish, maybe 510-ish by the end of this, could be the number one team on the table for Region 3. Suddenly, I don't know if Region 3 gets a Pool C team at all. Because well, I, Birmingham Southern blocks Harden-Simmons. Maybe, or it's bad news for Region 2, <laughs> and they get and Region 2 gets zero. And basically what we have is 1-6, one, 1-5, one, 1-4, one, two threes and then i guess there would be yeah that's that i think that this is a scenario that's starting to develop here with by the placement of birthingham southern as the third team in these rankings it's not going to be a good thing for region two unless that region two team is ithaca i think everybody else might be in up the up the creek based on what we see here well, what if Union has a 540 uh, SOS by the end of this and a 2-1 and one regionally ranked opponent record? That resume far exceeds anything yeah, Birmingham look, Southern could have. Jungberg has a, has a crummy SOS, and they're the two second-ranked. I mean, all of a sudden, for the, they've, they've, you know, there's been a track record of strength of schedule being a really big, strong component here, and then they do the exact opposite with these rankings with some of these teams. It's, it's kind of perplexing. So... There's always a theory out there about when racks take too long with their rankings, what it means or what, what it means when the NCAA is late in uh, putting them out. And these are reviewed by the NCAA committee, the, the full committee. And you wonder if the full committee didn't question some of the things we're questioning here. Because, again, there are no justifications for what happened in Region 2. Region 3 is nope. an inter- interesting problem, and you, you spotted it. it. The Huntington question is probably where we're finding this uh, security yeah. blanket for Birmingham Southern. But when the SOSs start separating... Yeah, let's, our- not be, let's not be too unfair. I mean, like you said, I mean, the, the Panthers were literally a ball drop away from winning the SAA. And, and so they sure. just, you know... And you know who's a ball drop away from uh, possibly winning the ASC? Harden Simmons. Yeah. And so it works yeah. both ways. And if I'm Harden Simmons, I almost knocked off number one. Okay? Yeah. And number one by probably a landslide in people's views in Region 3. So if you're going to pin everything on the close game to number two and a win against number seven, 
I tell you, you might want to reconsider things a little bit as strength of schedule starts shifting. I, look, Chris Schufer and company, you did a great job in almost winning that game and having a great season so far. Don't take this as a dig to you. But this is when you're in the talking about the best of the best across the country. We have to be objective here. We have to be fair about this situation. And I was there. That Harden-Simmons game... They almost had number one. They should have had number one. In fact, if they did, we'd be talking about Mary Harden Baylor maybe behind Birmingham Southern at this point. Who knows what the heck's going on? It would. It's crazy that that's the case. But yeah, that's kind of what we're seeing here. And my, like I said from just a few days ago, I was really convinced out of those sort of three teams. I thought that you know Union was in a, in the best position. But based on this, it doesn't seem that way anymore. Yeah, uh, let's go to uh, Region 4 through 6. Uh, and I just, Albion actually uh, just popped up my screen, so that's uh, good news because I'll get to see the standings and tell you that because they are tied with Hope and Trine and they have beaten both Hope and Trine, Albion with a win yep. versus Alma wins the MIAA. What a great yep. game that was. I mean, it was an 18-point lead oh by gosh. Albion. Hope flies past them for the lead. It was a 21-point lead, wasn't it? Like 24 to 3 at one point? Remember we were watching this? Yeah. And Albion's killing them. And then all of a sudden it was 24-24. We're like, whoa, wait a minute. We better pay attention to what's going on here. Yeah, we were going to take it off our feet, actually, because, uh, you know, we can only put so many games into our system. And that was when we're like, ah, this is over. And then suddenly you get a touchdown as Hope. And we're like, oh, maybe not. And good thing we didn't. Uh, Baldwin Wall is still a strong pool C candidate. We think sort of a with one loss. We'll talk about it in um, a second. If you're if you're a Region Two, uh, say Union or Hopkins fan, you better be cheering on the the Blue Streaks because John Carroll uh, has the opportunity to play spoiler. If they can if they knock off Baldwin Wallace in in Week Eleven, that's going to free up a pool C spot. And um, we'll talk more know, about that in region- a second. Let, let's okay. say we'll look at the uh, full list. Heidelberg, obviously, with that great overtime win and the excitement that went with it, still a great moment for Saturday. Now, what a what a what a game! Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Whitewater uh, holding on against Lacrosse. Give Lacrosse a lot of credit. Uh, that defense is strong for them. Yeah. And Pacific, we don't know what happened uh, to Whitworth's uh, Jaden Pruitt, uh, but I probably lent to why the score stayed at fourteen to seven as you lose an offensive powerhouse like Pruitt. Things can't be yeah. easy. Uh, we got another page worth, so go ahead and start going through your four through six games here. You want to? Well, you know some obvious stuff. You know North Central clinches CCIW, Mountain Union clinched the OAC. Um, you know Linfield clinched last week, so we knew that Wheaton is winning big and in a good position. Bethel is going to host St. John's for the MIAC, MIAC MIAC title. That's another situation where if you are a Pool C bubble team, you want Bethel to lose that game, not win. Um, elsewhere, DePauw wins the NCAC. Rose Holman, I think, pretty much clinched the the Heartland. Um, they may technically have to win one more game, but they're playing a you know, team from the bottom of the standing, so they're they're on their way. Aurora wins the NAC, and then. Uh, we saw well, actually a game um, in Minnesota get postponed slash probably canceled at this late uh, late date. I think, uh, fortunately, Frank, I think that only is like about five or or six games out of the however many hundred, you know, close to a thousand now maybe games that we've played in Division Three over the last ten weeks. So um, that's a really great sign and really great to see after all the stuff we went through um, in the prior year. Or so. Uh, Chicago wins huge over Lawrence. They're they're going to be taking on Lake Forest, who is one of the, the remaining undefeated teams in the country. But because of some wacky tiebreaker rule, they kind of need to win this game against Chicago to not put themselves at the mercy of this quarters played um, situation that they're in. So that's going to be a big one to watch in week five or sorry, in region five for week 11. <laughs> Easy for you to say. So how bad are things in Region 4 overall? Look at the, your uh, number seven team. Uh, John Carroll, who lost this week, is still number seven because that's... The only 33-loss team, I think, in any of these rankings, Frank, I'm pretty sure. 
and we only go seven deep in these rankings too don't forget so it's it's magnified by that fact here uh, Mount Union a clear number one here and we believe they have to be number one for region uh, slash uh, geographic <laughs> they're yeah. gonna win their conference it's like us whatever well DePaul at uh, 8-0 uh, in terms of D3 games uh, and that's what matters primarily uh, that's primary criteria secondary criteria would take into account the loss but you probably don't need to go there they win the NCAC they've won uh, you know what they need to there and don't have to worry about much else Baldwin Wallace they are the pool C team uh, that will be on the table if they win if they win you know what else is you know what else this tells me Frank look at the look at the three teams beneath Mount Union you think Mount Union's going to be a number one seed? Well, look, they've got three wins out of ranked ranked teams, and it's a possibility that they could have four if somehow Westminster sneaks in, winning the pack through the through the tiebreaker. This points to me that the the committee is propping Mount up for a number one seed. Um, you know, we talked last time about whether or not you know St. John's had a better resume um, based on the 2019 run and. Um, you know what they've what they've accomplished, as well as Del Val. We talked talked about, but ultimately, end of day, Frank. I think your statement from our last show: the committee wants a, a team that's close to the East Coast and Ohio. You know, Alliance Ohio is that location. It has been many years in the past. This is the committee saying Mount Union is going to be one of your number ones, in my opinion. Region 5, North Central, clear and away, again, number 1. Central, though, is a, a, a compelling uh, story. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I don't think I they are good. even close in that respect. But if you look at their strength of schedule, uh, they are, uh, after North Central, uh, number 178 overall uh, with a 466. And so mm-hmm. you can see the differential between a Central and a North Central which is a mouthful when you think about it. And then you ask, well, why isn't Lake Forest uh, there? You know, uh, the, the Foresters uh, probably have a better SOS than that. Well, no, they don't. It's 450. Yeah. Chicago yeah. obviously helped them, but you are looking yeah. at a situation where they're making it clear that Wheaton, even with a loss, is better than an undefeated team with a 450 strength of schedule. We would assume yeah. that to be the case. Um, yep. The loss being to North Central, a close game early in the season. Wheaton's strength of schedule isn't exactly anything to write home about at 495, but it's much better than 450, and that's what's happening mm-hmm. here. Uh, Aurora, thanks for coming. Uh, you played a great schedule this year. Uh, you know, yeah. and you're, you've pretty much won your conference, and that's all you got to worry about. So that's that. We're not sure where They're the head coach is coming from. And uh, you said that uh, John Carroll is the only uh, three-loss team. Wartburg is down there at number eight with oh, three yeah. losses. So Region 5 a little thin as well. But um, yep. definitely some questions here as to what the heck Coe is doing here and why Wartburg necessarily beyond their we, we schedule. Figured that out. We figured that out last time, I think. Coe beat somebody in the beginning of the season that was a, a decent team and a ranked win. They had they beat Hope. Um and so that's a win over a regionally ranked opponent, um, I think. Although maybe – actually, no, Hope wasn't on the uh, Region 4 with one from uh, the last yeah, time. Yeah, they were. And they lost well, – oh, they Yep, they are again. Let me see. Yeah, they're bare- – so, yeah, that's that's why Co is on there. Um, they lost to Wartburg, Wartburg, though, which is interesting. Um, but 7-2 and two is better than 6-3, and three, I guess. And anyway, so, yeah, there's, Hope is – There's Hope. Hope is still on there. Okay. Yep. All right. So, so I think that's uh, why. Let's go to Region 6. Region 6 is probably where all paths begin in certain ways here. Um, Wisconsin Whitewater, clearly uh, the cream of the crop after that uh, close yeah. win against Lacrosse and what they've had to go through in the WIAC. We, we take our hats off to them this season. St. John's is not a lock here because they have to play Bethel. Yeah. Now, the question really that we don't have an answer to is, Okay, for, we, we do know the answer to this. If St. John's loses to Bethel, they will be the first team or one of the first teams in Pool C selected. I, would you yeah, not agree I with that? We, well, I mean, lacrosse to me is the, is the most obvious slam dunk. If I was on the committee, they would be my number one pick uh, in Pool C. 
Um, maybe St. John's would be my number two, but to the way the lacrosse took Whitewater to the, to the limit, I mean, they, you know, if not for that outstanding defensive back play uh, by number 11, uh, I know he was, I think, uh, Pat's like, you know, game ball player of the week weekend. I mean, that was a touchdown pass uh, and, and Whitewater could have lost that game without that great play. Um, so with lacrosse to me punched their ticket last Saturday, they are in the tournament. No matter, you can't tell me otherwise they are in, they are going to be one of the 32 teams. They will be the first team picked off the board, I think. And then if St. John's with a loss, um, yeah, I would say that they might be a number, number two, if not, you know, maybe Wheaton could be picked second and then St. John's, um, it just, once again, like these Midwestern teams are just going to keep eating into that, you know, one or two spots remaining for any uh, region two or three teams. Let's look at the facts. So uh, let's say St. John wins. What do you do with Bethel? What do you do with them? They've lost twice to the same team, which is a rarity in football. Uh, yeah. In basketball, mm-hmm. division three, you'll see it's soccer where they have double round robins and that can happen doesn't happen in football. So how do you look at this double loss to the same team? Then you look at their strength of schedule. It's a 541 currently, and then they're going to add St. John's again. It's going to fly up into the 560s or 570s. That's extremely high. Yeah, so they're, if they're already loses, the eight, so they're, I mean, it, it's going to go up into the 30s probably. If Bethel loses, they will stay below Wisconsin Lacrosse, but they will not fall yeah. below Redlands, I don't believe. And so... Bethel will be a compelling Pool C possibility still. Yeah. I think anything below Bethel right now is locked out. I don't see Bethel unless they get thrashed this weekend against St. John's. I I don't see them falling. Why would they? Everything about their resume is improved by this championship game. Note to conferences out there that don't have championship games. You watch this situation and realize... This thing is actually possibly going to help a two-loss team buck the trend entirely. Yeah. Because, again, lacrosse, probably one of the first taken. Bethel sits there for three or four rounds. Yep. Bethel sits there for three or four rounds, JB. you got to eventually love them. you got to eventually love the numbers behind them. They've beaten Gustavus Adolphus, if I remember correctly. So they're one and two against regionally ranked opponents at that point. What's not to love about Bethel? Yeah. Uh, so, folks, get a championship game when you have a lot of teams in your conference. They're showing why yeah. it works in the MIAC. Okay, uh, before yep. we go further, uh, one thing we do want to do is talk about your uh, talk about two things. Let's uh, do in reverse order uh, compared to normal. Who's left is undefeated here. Delaware Valley, Cortland, Mary Harden, Baylor, Central, Trinity, DePaul, Mount Union, Linfield, uh, North Central, in Wisconsin, Whitewater have all clinched their Pool A bids. Uh, the undefeated teams that have not are Lake Forest and St. John's uh, because of that uh, championship game we just talked about. Williams also undefeated, but in NESCAC, and uh, they do not participate in the NCAA playoffs. So you have in playoff worthy teams two, four, six, nine, twelve left. Baker's dozen, Frank. You get thirteen we, with with Williams in there, but yeah, that is a dozen that are playoff eligible. <laughs> and uh, let's go to uh, one of our favorite portions of the show, JB's MVPs, and uh, talk about. Well, you don't have to talk much about Michael Nikowski with those six touchdowns against Susquehanna. Yeah. I made a joke about how, you know, Greg and I seem to pick the same guy uh, and we, we've done it a few times this season, but, and I was trying to think since we, you know, we knew we were going to do this a little delayed. I was like, I, I, you know, I could try to find somebody else, but how do you, how do you, you know, not recognize that? I mean, he was nearly perfect um, with his, you know, with what he went for uh, 25 of 29 for 380 yards. I mean, Against a team, against a pretty good team too, um, to boot. So, you know, had to had to you know give it to um, Michael Nikowski. Am I saying that right? Nikowski. I'm always Nikowski is right. Yep, Michael Nikowski. Yeah. Got it. He is an he is an elite quarterback um, that Nate Milne has really enjoyed coaching. Um, my pronunciation is not so elite. Speaking of cool names. Um, and actually, before before I I, I butcher Nick's name, um, I made a I made a little error on the uh, Framingham State box score. I believe the quarterback's name is Josh, not Nicholas. I think he's got a brother on the team. 
Um, uh, uh, so sorry about that, Josh. That that was my bad, not Frank's. Um, but getting back to great names, Nick Bahamande from Ithaca with a four for four field goal day, kicked a couple of extra points. So he scored 14 points in that big win over Union. He had a 61 plus average on kickoffs. One of the one of the big days he's had. I think there were some records that he broke at, at Ithaca, um, and you know credit him in a, in a tweet he sent out that this is really a team award. It's not about him, and I think that was a, a really uh, just a great performance. And so he's my special teams MVP. Last but not least, you know me, I love guys who wear thirty six. Just kind of a, a bias I have, but at the end of the day, I couldn't find anybody in the entire country who had twenty two tackles and when you play a triple option team as a linebacker you're going to get the ball smashed at you all game long and this guy did not back down you know i know the engineers lost the game but still i have not that is incredible i mean i think you had 11 solo 11 assists one of the best defensive performances of the year just from a pure statistics standpoint congratulations to senior linebacker paul calvetti Hey, I love my 36 guys. Awesome performance, 22 tackles, def- defensive MVP of Week 10. JB, uh, that's pretty much everything we've got. We talked about Coach Toop, uh, Coast Guard. Uh, we'll go a lot more in-depth into that game on Friday. Coach Toop's going to be missed. Uh, what exactly means, how the timing of this is going to work, uh, we'll get into with him. At 9, 10 a.m., he'll join us live on our show on Friday morning. Thanks to Joe Guster for helping us out uh, with those details. And uh, also, uh, Craig Halbert is the color commentator, and Robert Lee is play-by-play for ESPN 3's broadcast of the Secretary's Cup game at Coast Guard. But ESPN's going to have some coverage throughout the week, including on Veterans Day from Coast Guard Academy with Coach Grant, etc. over there. Uh, so you're going to watch uh, some uh, D3-centric stuff from ESPN this week. Kudos to them yeah, for doing it. Player, I, think, I think a former Coast Guard Bears player is also being interviewed as well. He's a higher ranking, I think, military officer now. But yeah, it's going to be a picturesque, you know, that stadium there in New London, really great location. You were at a game there a few years back, I think, when the when the Coast Guard won. Um, maybe it was when the Mariners won, and then the Coast Guard won it back last year. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's a great location for, for a D3 game. Where am I going to be this weekend? I honestly don't know. I swear to God, I don't know. Uh, we've been toying with this. We were hoping that Union would uh, get the game moved with RPI to later in the evening to make it a showcase MIT game. Did it. Yeah, MIT could do it. And uh, I know the SIDs at Union hate me for this, and the SID yeah. staff, but you know what? Yeah. It's Only one game. Mine. It's, the kids would love to see, the kids, the players would love to see a night game on their send-off, essentially, at least for regular season purposes, after everything they've been through on both sides of this equation. Uh, they deserve whatever the hell they want, as far as I'm concerned. I wish they would make the move, but uh, we have seen no movement so far. We did like that uh, A.D. McElroy uh, from RPI did like my original tweet, so I don't know what that means in the grand scheme of things, but thanks to him. Um but we don't know, and we might put it to a vote at the last second. I've been thinking about going down to Rowan at TCNJ on Friday night, which is the last of the Friday night games that are uh, on the schedule. And so mm-hmm. maybe we play it from there. We'll see what we do with it. Uh, we'll give you more details over the next couple of days. Before we leave you one more time, the regional rankings. Uh, Del Val topping in Region 1. This is the first time we get to see numerical rankings, so now we can say that with definitiveness like we couldn't have last week. Uh, Merchant Marines number two is kind of a false flag of sorts uh, because of the way that their, the rest of their resume reads. Uh, it's, it's just not going to happen for Merchant Marine in terms of playoffs this year. Don't forget again, uh, we can't tell you who's going to win between Catholic and Springfield in a three-way tie because in that situation, if Merchant Marine and Catholic win on Saturday, uh, we, the strength of schedule will determine it, and ultimately it could flip. Right now, Springfield has a somewhat reasonable lead over Catholic, but Catholic will go up slightly uh, from playing Springfield more than Springfield will go up from playing Catholic, and then it comes down to the teams that they played out of conference because they play so many of them. There's four teams right. for each team. 
to weigh into their statistics. So that's a very interesting problem that will be worked out this weekend. Region 2, it's a stunner, and without good reason. Muhlenberg at number 2 after uh, after what we can say universally, Cortland number 1, yes. But Muhlenberg at number yeah. 2, Muhlenberg, as far as I'm concerned, probably belongs just above Hopkins, and then Ithaca and Union and RPI could be above that, and I'd be very happy with this list, not because I'm a homer, but because the stats support it. The criteria yeah. support it. What happens after this weekend if RPI loses to Union? Where things go? We can't really tell you right now, except we can tell you the strength of schedule for Union is going to be very good. And mm. their regionally ranked opponent record will probably be very good as well. Stay tuned. Region 3, <laughs> Birmingham Southern, by way of the Huntingdon win uh, by them, yep. is ahead of Harden-Simmons. That's a shocker to many. And will it change? Probably not because the strength of schedule differential will not be much unless something catastrophic occurs to Birmingham Southern's strength of schedule after this weekend. Uh, you know, we do know that they're playing Millsaps. We, we get that fact. But Harden-Simmons isn't going to be playing exactly a world beater either. And so, in, in uh, what is it? I, I, I'm going to forget it or get it wrong here. So, just uh, forgive me. Texas Lutheran, excuse me. So, tell you. In, in that respect, uh, the SOSs aren't going to be very different. So right now, Birmingham Southern is blocking Hardin-Simmons from the table. Region 4, not very deep. And Mount Union's benefiting from that fact in terms of uh, probably number one ranking or number one seed because of it. Region yep. 5, North Central, no surprise. But the rest of these groupings, Central, etc., the strength of schedule in some of these upper teams is woeful. And so Wheaton sort of benefits from the fact that that's happening because otherwise they might be pushed down lower. And in Region 6, uh, I swear I'm coming up with Region 6 here. There we go. Uh, we <laughs> have the mystery of what happens with Bethel if St. John's wins and how the yeah. ordering will work here. But... To uh, send folks off, JB, if you had to pick your five teams in order right now, knowing where they're landing right now on these lists, what would they be? Well, as I said before, lacrosse from six, uh, Wheaton from region five, uh, region four, if Baldwin Wallace beats John Carroll, they will get in. There's like four OAC teams in that rack ranking. They love the OAC. So Baldwin Wallace, who's nine to one with a loss to Mount Union, they're in Region Three. Originally, I was going to say that Harden Simmons. I mean, I've said all season Harden Simmons is a lock, but now they have Birmingham Southern blocking them, and so. That's going to be interesting and a problem, you know, with especially with Trinity being the SAA champ and based in Texas, it kind of helps, especially, you know, you have Huntington from the USA South and Alabama. You're starting to have a nice little pot of teams there in the Texas area. So I think Birmingham Southern might get it, and then it's going to come down to um, this sort of shakeout between – if, Cort if Cortland blows out Ithaca and, and Ithaca um, doesn't win the Liberty League, they're they're out. Um, if Union beats RPI, that puts Ithaca in as a Pool A. RPI is not going to get in as a Pool C at eight and two. That final spot's going to come down between Union and Harden Simmons possibly, and I don't know if Union can overcome or Hopkins that. Or Hopkins, yeah. I mean, Hopkins is getting this sort of weird centennial love, um, but like you said, they're you know they're playing McDaniel. That's going to drop their strength of schedule. I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to me. I think it's going to be like a, a three-team race for one final spot, and the placement of, of Birmingham Southern really sort of threw a curveball, and then also the way that the centennial is being so boosted in Region Two is a really bad deal for the Liberty League. Yeah, I, and the fact that they don't have many regionally ranked opponents, they're almost forgiving the conference in the Centennial Conference for having a 10-team conference with a nine-game round robin between them. 
while I can appreciate that, and while it does do funky things to the strength of schedule, you cannot ride that all the way to this type of scenario. Yeah, the only other... The only thing I'd add is that, you know, for anybody out there who's somehow thinking that, you know, Cortland or DelVal is going to be a number one seed, nope, not going to happen. It's it's clearly Mountain Union is going to be the, the fourth number one. And so you'll probably see a DelVal maybe paired with them. You might see Cortland paired up with, um, yeah, maybe, maybe a white – what Whitewater possibly because of maybe a Mary Harden Baylor maybe maybe they create yeah. the island scenario that, that way on the other half of the bracket and then yeah. do the They're flight twos. for the They're, semis. Yeah, the number one teams in Region One and number and, and Region Two are pretty solid locks for twos, maybe threes depending on where teams like St. John's ends up. Um, you know, even as a Pool C team, Wisconsin Lacrosse is going to be pretty highly ranked um, by this committee, but. You know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, Selection Sunday's coming up soon, and it'll be great to talk to Dewey Nats again, and we'll kind of break the brackets down and see what see what you guys think. JB, we're just over an hour here. Let's call it quits for now. Friday morning, the Tooper, just before his final game as head coach of the Merchant Marine Academy. Uh, it's going to be uh, a little emotional for us, and you'll want to watch and hear yeah. what's going through his mind. Uh, some call it the worst-kept secret. Uh, some folks kind of knew it was coming. But just to hear it this morning when he uh, texted me to go check Twitter, and I looked everywhere but on his own page, he announced it on his own Twitter account the way he wanted hey, he's to. He's always done his own way, man. That, that's that's too for you. That's Mike Toop through and through. Folks, thanks for joining us. We'll see you Friday morning.